Good morning. It is New Year's Eve, December 31st, 2023. It has been an uh, interesting year, to say the least, in the Catholic world. And we are going to talk today about the major events of 2023 and how they absolutely are going to set the stage for 2024. I may tomorrow do a prediction, you know, one of those sort of odd prediction videos on what I expect to see in the coming year. I think a few people have made them. Morning to Joe and Ray in the chat, as well as Colleen, John, and KW. Couldn't sleep, Joe. Well, that's not good. <laughs> Hopefully you don't have any long drives ahead of you today. Just go to Mass and then take the day, Be have an easy day if you can. But there's been a lot of predictions being made about what you'll see in the church in the coming year. And I'm going to do predictions, I think, tomorrow on January 1st. Instead, I want to talk about some things that have been going on, but one of the things I want to wait for, but I want to mention first is there was a there was a update about the Cardinal Burke story that broke yesterday. And I'll share that here from Diane Montagna shared it. I got a good summary from someone who follows her on Twitter. So in a brief update about what happened with Cardinal Burke. Diane Montagna, the intrepid Catholic journalist who, during the synod meetings, had said all sorts of really hard and pointed questions to the the bishops there, questions that many of us would have asked if we had been there. She actually managed to find, uh, get confirmation from Cardinal Burke that Pope Francis has removed Burke's only retirement benefit, that would be basically his pension, that Cardinal Burke has no other pension, that his health care was also taken and that his apartment rent in Rome is set to quadruple. Meanwhile, Father Rupnik is still in Rome, carrying on with his normal way of life. So there you go. That's the update about Cardinal Burke. Um, yeah, they are uh, showing him what synodal mercy really looks like. Colleen says, we finally made it to New Year's Eve. Yay. 2024 is going to be an interesting year, folks. It really is going to be interesting. I don't think there's any way it can go without being interesting. You have the looming secular politics over everything and all sorts of rumors of conclaves and things. And I'll talk about my own predictions for 2024 probably tomorrow unless major news breaks today. Um, what is uh, What is he supposed to do? Who knows? I... There are some who think he has some resources available to him, given the shrine he operates, that he's a, the patron of in North America. We'll see. I know that people will rally to help him. Why is he so mean-spirited, meaning Francis? That's a, anybody's guess is as good as mine on that one. Um, Yellow Roses says that St. Peter statue being struck by lightning says it all. Yes, and I have somebody who is in country who actually contacted the parish there. Somebody, they, they actually knew somebody at the parish and they got confirmation off the record that yes, it did happen. And um, I also am in contact with somebody who's now going, who's in country, someone else who's going to go drive to the to the building where this happened and lay eyes on it for themselves. So yeah, it's also local media there in Argentina is reporting that this happened. Although it did not happen in uh, Bergoglio's old diocese. There's some confusion about that. It happened in a like a, a, a diocese very close by his old diocese. But, I mean, the rest of the happenings are not a coincidence. 
Um, so let's talk about this. The major events of 2023. They said there were a lot of major events in the church and the life of the church this year. A lot of people can will say what they think are the most important ones. And I'm going to give you my three or four major ones. And really the first one is going to take the longest for me to talk about because it does set the stage for quite literally everything else. I could go on for like an hour, hour and a half, but it's Sunday. I don't have time for that. And we're going to talk about this in the most, you know, sort of bird's eye view way of talking about most of these. And we're going to start with the number of first one, which is the longest one. And that is the passing of Pope Benedict XVI one year ago today. Yes, the most important event of 2023 happened on this on the last day of 2022. Again, make sure to say an Ave Maria or any other traditional prayer for the repose of the soul of, of Benedict XVI, a.k.a. Joseph Ratzinger. Whether you admired him as a pontiff or if you think he was a, a heretic as bad as the rest of them or somewhere in between, the Catholic thing to do would be to offer a prayer of some kind for the repose of his soul today. So please do so. It's worth noting here that today Archbishop Georg Ganswein is going to be offering, I believe, a pontifical high mass, the repose of Benedict XVI in St. Peter's, probably in that underground chapel where they still permit the occasional traditional mass to be said. But this story, the passing of Benedict, had enormous effect on the church. Beginning almost immediately, we began to see a rapid intensification and acceleration of Francis's program for remaking the church. And part of this was due to the Synod on Synodality having its first meeting of the bishops in Rome later that year, 10 months later. But we saw reform documents issued by Francis. We saw an acceleration and intensification of the rhetoric uh, that he was using against traditional rigid Catholics. I got a couple. I saw a couple questions in the chat, so I'm gonna take a moment and answer them. Good morning to you, Jer good afternoon to you, Jaron, wherever you are in, where it's already afternoon. Morning, Ben, where you are. Um, Brendan Grayley says his parish priest is your parish priest no longer. I mean, I'm guessing your former parish priest, who is a rabid liberation theologist, comes out point blank now and says Jesus is not God, and he quotes Francis and Mature, which the Pope reads. Ask him why. Um, I would go find a new parish, honestly, at that point. Like that unequivocally, I would be personally gone. Um Joe said he was he was called a set of a contest for commenting how empty St. Peter's Square was during a recent Angelus. That's one of the things that happened this year was over the course of the last couple of years, people started noticing that St. Peter's was more and more sparsely populated during Francis's public events. But this year it became undeniable. Um, let's see. Do I think anyone would show it to Francis, the message from above? Uh, the message. Oh, if you're referring to the, the St. Peter's thing, I maybe. I don't know if people would be willing to um, risk earning his ire that way. But let's continue here. Um, people, saw an ex people saw an increased speed of things happening in Rome after the passing of Benedict the 16th. And I was reminded when this year constantly of something Art Bell used to say before he passed away, I think when 2010, he had a thesis for something he called the quickening. And one definition I found of his observation is this, quote, there's a feeling that something is out of balance and some great change is about to occur. That life as we know it is about to change for all of us. The quickening is the events that show change is near and are the symptoms of this impending change, end quote. Now, the first time I heard Art Bell say this was in the 1990s, and by mid-September of 2001, he had been proven right. 
that sense of change in the church has been with us for some time, but it really took off after the passing of Benedict XVI. Almost like a door or barrier had been removed. This took the form of the synod on synodality, more, <coughs> pardon me, more brutally honest moves by Francis to break away from traditional Catholic teaching on the James Martin sin. Take a special note of that, by the way. On that sin in particular, this past June, like the year before, Francis sent a handwritten personal letter to Pastor Jimmy Martin of the Jesuit Church, who dutifully and predictably showed it off on his websites and in his social media pages. I have made videos about this when, when this happens two years in a row. Francis writes him letters and thanks him for the good work he does on that issue and to keep up the good work. Unlike previous years, though, this time he followed up on that by becoming pen pals with Sister Janine Gramic, the most famous heretic nun who was the co-founder of New Ways Ministry, an organization which had been formally condemned repeatedly by the U.S. bishops as a group that kept pushing that issue more than anything else in the church. They were dedicated to that and have been doing that work since like the 1970s. Sister Gramic has been doing that work since she was essentially a novice nun. Sister Gramic revealed this personal letter relationship with the man the world sees as Pope after she had a face-to-face -face meeting with him and had pictures taken with him. I reported on that to you as well. This was preceded by his initial statements about the James Martin crowd being able to be baptized, being able to adopt kids and the whole nine yards without requiring them to repent of their errors and live in accordance with their state in life. That is a big caveat on being able to access the sacraments. You have to have a firm purpose of amendment to change your life. The call to baptism, the call to living the life in the sacraments requires us to attempt at least to live our lives in Christ and to leave the old person behind. That was all followed, of course, by the way, by the satanic decree that was issued like two weeks ago and has yet to leave the news cycle. It is this increased intensification of the speed and implementation of Francis's program that makes it clear that something has changed. Things are moving faster now than they were before. But to set the stage for the next few points about 2023 that's going to lead into 2024, here's what Robert Mickens said a few days after the passing of Benedict XVI. I'll have all my sources for this stuff, so you can read it all for yourself. I'm not going to put any of this on screen today. Um, but I'll have the sources for this at returntotradition.org pretty much right after this, this live stream goes live, within like half an hour of it going live. So anyway, quote, Within hours of Benedict's announced passing, pre-recorded interviews with Gonsvein and excerpts of a tell-all book the then 66-year-old German prelate had ready to publish the day after the funeral were suddenly appearing on social and mainstream media. The archbishop's comments were seen as attacks on Francis. They also did more than merely suggest that Benedict was unhappy with some key decisions the Jesuit pope had made during his pontificate. Francis's reaction to the Bavarian predecessor's passing seemed odd and probably some cold and distant. He continued to forge ahead with all his pre-scheduled public engagements right up to the day of the funeral. And in the four discourses he delivered during those days, he only briefly mentioned Benedict. Was this in retaliation to Gonsvein's behavior? We don't know. It's also possible that the decisions that Francis and his assistants made concerning the funeral arrangements are what provoked the archbishop to lash out. Moreover, the origins, and no matter who took the first, uh, who took the first comments in this sort of ongoing battle, a fragile peace has been greatly disturbed. And this could spell trouble for the pontificate of Francis, who at age 86 and in declining health, is likely to face even more opposition than before. Those who think Benedict's passing gives him greater freedom, meaning Francis, to govern the church without the former pope's shadow looming over him, should think again. Benedict was actually a neutralizing element that kept the radical fringes in both opposing camps somewhat at bay. 
that element is now gone, end quote. I'll pause here and check the comments, but remember, there there's something clearly changed with the passing of Benedict. In hindsight, that's absolutely clear. A lot of us speculated at the time that that was, that that was going to be the case, and it absolutely has come to pass. Benedict suffered greatly in the belief he knew that Francis was looking to destroy the Jesus's church. I mean, that could be the case. We will find out eventually someday, though. Jaron says everything is going to accelerate the decadence in the church and in the secular world. I don't know how much worse the secular world can get, but those could be famous last words also. Colleen says she remembers when Art Bell talked about the quickening. Yes, he had. He does have a book about that. Uh, it's on the Amazon. I, 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 when I was like looking for a good summary definition of it, I saw that book was available. I should maybe consider getting a copy, actually, just because Art Bell was an interesting figure, a very interesting figure. Declan expects in 2024, James Martin will be made a bishop. Look, I would be surprised if he was not uh, at least offered to become an auxiliary bishop in Hollywood or in San Diego or someplace like that. Those are stepping stone dioceses to much more important dioceses. Um, let's see. Just checking to make sure. All right. Yeah, KW says, don't forget to hit the like button, folks. Yes, please do so. All right. So, but that's where we are. And then and after the, all that, that Robert Micken says, he said, he then asks if we'd see Francis clean house of Ratzinger's people from the Curia. Some of that did happen, but not nearly as much as we expected. Instead, ever the pragmatist, Francis turned towards those who were verbally resisting him or who as bishops were simply not obeying orders and proceeded to have them removed or otherwise punished. We'll get to a lot of that here in a moment. Many of Benedict's appointments, though, weren't exactly the most confidence-inspiring appointments either. Cardinal Mark Ouellette went from being someone highly regarded by many, including as being considered Pape Bile and a Benedict XVII type figure, he, he was considered as one of the better bishops back during Benedict's time to becoming a total Francis loyalist. That's why you didn't see a lot of Benedict's people removed from the Roman Curia, because a lot of them just fell in line behind Francis. Many other examples of that too, though. But here's where Mr. Mickens had an interesting observation last January. He compares Benedict's resignation to Richard Nixon's famous trip to Cardinal Zen's homeland and the effect it had on world relations, where even after Nixon's fall from grace, he was still afforded some respect because of the impact he had on the world as a trailblazer in the area of geopolitics. Don't under remember, Richard Nixon fundamentally changed geopolitics through his famous overseas trip. And this is where he compares Benedict's resignation to that. It is an interesting comparison to make. He then says this about uh, Benedict's funeral, though. Quote, remember, Nixon got all sorts of honors when he passed away in the 1990s. Okay, quote, the Vatican gave no such honors to Benedict XVI. It was a very foggy, chilly, and damp morning on the day of the former Pope's scaled-down funeral. The crowd that gathered represented the clerical church that adored him. It was slightly smaller, 50,000 or so, than the some 65,000 that had been anticipated. And it was over in an hour and 20 minutes, some 15 minutes shorter than the papal mass, that was celebrated the next day for the Feast of the Epiphany. At the funeral, Francis gave a brief but very theologically rich homily that consisted mostly of quotes from Benedict's writings and sacred scripture. He mentioned Benedict by name only once and at the very end. The Pope looked unpleasant throughout the liturgy and surprisingly, shockingly, some would say, he did not attend the internment of Benedict's body in the crypt after the Mass. The Vatican did not observe a single day of mourning or declare a public holiday, but merely gave its employees the option of attending the funeral. Some services and shops were closed only for the duration of the funeral, and then people were expected to be back to work. 
There are many of us who were never particularly enamored of Joseph Ratzinger, but the man was the Bishop of Rome for nearly eight years. For that alone, he's deserved better than this. End quote. There has been talk that Francis is going to formalize a stripping down of papal funerals to make them much less celebratory the way we are used to seeing these things. It's worth noting that secular heads of state get a lot of pomp and circumstance long after they've left office when they pass away. And now Benedict's was the first that we're likely to see in a string of these probably over the next several decades where this isn't going to be the case, unless, of course, something changes for the better in the Vatican. And I mean, radically changes. A moderate who follows Francis is not going to uh, change things. By definition, moderates don't like to rock the boat. It's kind of what makes them moderates. Checking the chat, the, the uh, chat here again. If Father Mine is a partner moving good costumes. <laughs> well, uh, yes, yeah, so he has a business partner. They, I'm sure the person will travel with him, of course. Business partners, you know, being such as they are. Amy, thank you very much. I do appreciate uh, the kind words. Colleen says, I think Benedict didn't realize the true intentions of Francis until after he resigned. I really don't think he thought it would go as it did. It must have been great suffering for him. Right. And Benedict probably assumed, Benedict is thought to have, many thought Benedict assumed like Scola or somebody like that was a shoe in to follow him. He didn't expect to see what happened. Nobody did, really. What about some off, just some respect for his office and contribution? Right. I mean, you would think that'd be at least some basic level of respect afforded him, but it was noteworthy how. I mean, there was, of course, a little bit, but it was, it took his funeral mass was as long as a normal mass. Hour and 15 minutes, at least to me, that's like a normal Sunday high mass. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's, it's worth noting here that Benedict's passing away was treated like something unpleasant that needed to be taken care of for appearance's sake. But here's what the New York Times had to say about this. So the headline that they gave us was that Benedict's burial leaves Francis alone and unbound. Liberal supporters of Francis, a pope never shy about exercising power, now anticipate a late-breaking season of change. Boy, howdy, did we get that season of change. Quote, Now with the burial of Benedict on Thursday, Francis, never bashful about exercising his power, is for the first time unbound. Now I'm sure he'll take it over, said Oswald Gracias, the Archbishop of Mumbai, as he walked around St. Peter's Square before Benedict's funeral mass. Some liberal supporters of Francis, who has often balked in the face of advancing major overhauls, are raising expectations for a late-breaking season of change. Many bishops and cardinals in the Vatican are convinced he's thinking ahead, said Gerard O'Connell, the Vatican correspondent for America Magazine. What changes now is that the opposition will not only have will not have the rallying figure manipulating Benedict interesting way of putting that manipulating Benedict who was very quiet during most of the time that in, in his retirement, Francis is a very clear program. Mr. O'Connell, the author of the election of Pope Francis an inside story of the conclave that changed history envisaged envisaged an immediate future of swifter personnel decisions on the placing of more lay Catholics in power. He said there was talk about a new document on morality matters of the flesh suitable to the married state and artificial barriers to being fruitful and multiplying. He also predicted that revisiting of major issues, end quote. And we did get most of that, though a repudiation of Humanae Vitae has long been rumored to be in the works, but has not yet happened. Not yet. That could be a 2024 program item. In fact, I would be surprised if it wasn't. 
Benedict's passing sets the stage for everything that we're going to talk about afterwards. It'll be much briefer than that. So the number, so the second item that characterized 2023 in the church, the attacks on religious orders. One of the hallmarks of Francis's years in general has been the targeting of religious orders by Francis and the Bergolian bishops in general. Look, I don't know how many videos I made this past year on the subject of canceled women religious. Nuns are heroes to me. I admire them very greatly. I take it personally when women religious become the target of the baleful eye of Rome, which is always hungry for resources. A few years ago, a document was issued by Rome that took, a few took notice of when it was issued, called Cor Orans, that fundamentally changed how religious orders are governed. The short version is that for more mainstream and modernist religious orders, Cor Orans was fine, at least in the short term, but for traditional orders, it became a nightmare. The document was issued in 2018 and was described at that time by Vatican News in this very vague way. Quote, the document provides precise guidelines regarding all the practical, administrative, legal, and spiritual aspects of pertaining to the founding and running of monasteries for contemplative nuns. These include detailed specifications regarding the autonomy of monasteries, the founding and building of monasteries themselves, their transferal and eventual suppression, the need for ecclesial vigilance over the monasteries, relation with the bishop of the diocese in question, rules and regulations regarding the separation of the nuns from the outside world, means of communication, the various forms of cloister, including papal enclosure and formation, end quote. It was a comprehensive document about religious life in general, and it put religious orders essentially into these kind of associations of it didn't really matter if you were dedicated to a traditional charism associated with a founder of your order, or if you were essentially, you know, the nuns on the bus, you were all lumped together into these associations that had guidelines over everybody. You can see why that would be a nightmare for traditional religious orders. <sighs> Since that document was issued, we've seen religious orders receive the equivalent of apostolic visitations. They've had many of them. Not only traditional orders either. This has happened to some modern, more liberal ones. Though disproportionately, it does appear to be the case that the traditional ones got most of the visitations. There were several stories that I could talk about here, but the two that I spend the most time covering including possibly burning bridges with someone I respect over the story, because I don't know for sure, they haven't contacted me in a long time since this story broke, where are the two here? One is that are the discalced Carmelite nuns of Arlington, and then the nuns of the monastery Maria Tempio Deo Spiritu Santo of Pienza in Italy. Pardon me for my bad Italian. In the case of the latter, the Italian nuns, Archbishop Viganò had defended a group of nuns personally from encroachments from apostate Rome. I had several of his letters on that subject over uh, in the first half of the year. The community of women religious had shrunk in number, turned to tradition to restore their order, and as a consequence, were targeted by Rome, which included an attempt to seize the land their monastery was on and sell it on the market. The nuns resisted for a time and nearly went to live on a property associated in some way with Viganò, but have since tried to work things out with Rome. Now, the details of those efforts, I, ha I have, haven't been made public, or at least I haven't been able to find any. If um, anybody knows anything about that, email me link so I can do a follow-up on that because it's an interesting story. It's worth noting here that ex Vigano's Exerge Dominate organization is likely sitting on the property offered to the nuns. Now, the other group, the Discalced Carmelites, are down in Arlington, Texas. They are locked in a legal conflict with Bishop Olson, the local ordinary. The bishop has a history of siding with all sorts of villainous groups in the secular world, including telling Catholics to not be so rigid on the whole Moloch ritual issue when it comes to who to support in the secular realm. Back in 2016, the diocese tried to seize and sell off a parish church, but the parishioners managed to use the law to stop that from happening. 
Now in 2023, the discalced Carmelites face something similar. Their property is estimated to be worth between $3.5 and $5 million on the Dallas real estate market. All sorts of audio accusations came out against the nuns with no context given, including accusations that the Mother Superior were using certain kinds of, we'll call them uh, plants, that we associate with uh, certain kinds of um, hobbies, we'll say, <laughs> and uh, parties and that kind of thing. These are the kind that the government has uh, takes a dim view on people using, even though they don't really enforce it anymore. People laying those, uh, pointing their finger at her in that way, never mentioned whether she had received medical guidance to use such materials. <coughs> Pardon me again. Still battling that that never-ending cold. But uh, to guide, they never mentioned whether she used those materials to uh, fight off her various ailments. She allegedly admitted to several violations of her vows while under the influence of some of these substances, which in the court of law would never hold up under any kind of scrutiny because they would, that would not be, no, no judge would take that kind of testimony with any kind of seriousness. Now, at the present, the nuns are in a sort of stalemate with the bishop. They officially said they no longer recognize the bishop's authority as bishop and call law enforcement if he attempts to enter the property uninvited. That could occur excommunication from Rome if things continue on that path. If there are any updates to that story, if any, then I do know that the nuns do, some of the nuns there do check in with um, this channel periodically. Watch. I just, I do know that that's the case. If that, if there's an update to that story, please send me an email. Again, I'd like to know so I can, uh, you know, inform the audience. I know a lot of people are very curious about that story. These kinds of stories, though, have happened with little public scrutiny until about 2023, when things change for the better, at least in terms of scrutiny. Now we know to watch for them. I'm going to take the opportunity to, by the way, at this point, to, to thank channel patrons and members for supporting this work, because it does enable me to keep the stories of nuns and monks of this kind, as they happen, coming for you to shed some light in the darkness on this. So thanks to them. Again, Nuns are heroes of mine. I've always admired them. And before we move on to the next story, please say a Hail Mary for the nuns in these stories and those in your area. Say a prayer later for vocations to the religious life. The greatest minds of the church always recognize that men and women religious are the unsung heroes of the faith, offering their lives in service and prayer for the salvation of our souls and for the well-being of the church. Before I go on to the next point, let's check in with the live chat. Um, Let's see. The two Pope's movies made out that they were so close friends, but can't see it to be true considering the response to his passing. That that movie was propaganda. It really was. Somebody joked that uh, with the pictures of Cardinal Burke and uh, Francis meeting that you're going to get a sequel to that movie. We'll see. I'm not actually convinced that Cardinal Burke is all that Papa Bile, honestly. Um, Julianne, I, I won't put your comment on screen, but he, she basically says he showed his disrespect for nuns when he assisted uh when, when he basically swept aside what rupnik did which is true i mean rupnik is living in rome right now he was reassigned to slovenia his home diocese but he's in rome continuing continuing the work he'd always been done uh, vigano would be a wonderful pope he's not papa bile trust me on this aside from being um he's like 82 or something but aside from that a lot of the bishops and a lot of the cardinals don't like him because of the letters he's been writing for the last five years and for essentially not sticking to the to the club and being and just keeping quiet about the things he knew. They don't like him for that reason. So I'm not a believer that the Holy Ghost chooses the Pope. 
the, at the conclave, bishops can align their will to the Holy Spirit through prayer and fasting and the rest. But there's no evidence that they've been doing that for a long time. And I don't see this current crowd doing that. There's no chance of him. I would expect the next pope to be either a moderate as a response, but probably someone older who will you know, sit there for two years or something, kind of like John the 23rd kind of short-term pope, or um, someone younger and just like Francis. Think Fernandez, somebody like that if they can muster the support behind them, which would be a trick given that uh, the story has gone really bad for them, this whole Oduccia supplicans thing. But the other thing is, as I'll get into my predictions for 2024 video tomorrow, I don't expect to see a, a conclave this coming year. I really don't. Lynn Wade says another example of the order of sisters that uh, Father Rupnik was involved with. Yeah, they were suppressed too. That happened late in the year. So, yes, Fernandez would be a nightmare. Yes, Damien says the lightning strike is a major story. It is. And I, I mentioned earlier, I had somebody um, who is, who's in country, uh, who actually knows somebody who works at that parish, call that, call, talk to the person they know there who confirmed the story. And I have somebody else in country who's actually going to go put eyes on that statue today if they can. I expect they're going to get there and find the thing covered up or the property locked off so you can't get in. That's what I expect. <laughs> all right so let's see let's continue on um point three this is the obvious story i think canceled bishops bishops get canceled really in a number of ways the obvious example of that is bishop strickland which was the biggest the highest profile one of the year not just in the united states but i saw the german news outlets talking about it i i saw some uh, south american news outlets talking about bishop strickland that was the highest profile one worldwide he was removed formally from office i think it was november 7th Prior to that, rumors had swirled for the most of the year that Rome was going to do something about him. And in the summer, he re received an apostolic visitation where the corrupted bishops who investigated him openly talked about who they thought would be a good fit to replace Bishop Strickland. And they did so right in front of his employees. Now, some forms of cancellation happen like that. There's overt removal from office. Others happen by Francis simply accepting the resignation of an otherwise healthy and vibrant energetic bishop who just happened to hit the age of mandatory retirement and is fully capable of continuing to serve on. And in a time when there is a vocations shortage in the church, including for bishops, it's weird that a bishop who can keep serving, they don't let keep serving. But others happen like um, Archbishop Georg Gonsfein, who a year after Benedict's passing has no formal job in the church. He's acting as a virtual assistant bishop in a German diocese, which is an insult to a man who spent as much time in the Roman Curia as he did. Gonsfein made the mistake of being loyal to Benedict and publishing a book about Benedict's real thoughts on Francis in 2023, which was published in English in the fall. And here's my copy of it. It's worth noting that Francis has canceled 25 bishops that we know of since 2013. 25 that we know of. It has taken various forms, including sending some highly capable former members of the Roman Curia to be bishops of remote dioceses far from any influential centers of church power. Others have been forced into retirement while they were only in their 50s. Others, like Cardinal Burke, have been canceled multiple times. Burke was removed from most of his Roman offices years ago and then had his pension taken from him earlier this year, as I mentioned in the update at the beginning of this video. And then finally, the big story, Fiducia Supplicants, which was the result of Francis bringing in Cardinal Fernandez to the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith. The man has been a wrecking ball. He has made no qualms about answering dubia and issuing statements that upend the faith. He's done so at least five times since September, and then he issued fiducia supplicants. I've talked about that document enough already for now, though. We'll probably get back into it later in the week. 
What matters here is the old adage, personnel is policy. Fernandez was one of the authors of Amoris Laetitia. Fiducia supplicans is the rotten fruit of Amoris Laetitia. Scholars have pointed out how the new document flows logically from the old as a complete work or as a sequel to Fiducia or to Amoris Laetitia, if you want to think about things in that way. The consequences of that document, the church is now seen as aligned with the secular world on the James Martin issue. If a future pope backpedals on this to the actual Catholic position, the consequences will be terrible even for the church. I mean, we've already talked about, you know, people have made, you know, analogies about cakes and things. You're going to see, you've already had people showing up at parishes asking for their blessings. I've had people tell me that they've witnessed a few of these already. Now think about what happens in some places where there isn't such a clear delineation between the church and the state as there is in the United States, where a priest says no. What do you think is going to happen to him? in some of these places where these things are so cut and dry, especially in places where the ground has been made fertile for coming after the church, like in Canada, based entirely on spurious accusations. Accusate that trip to Canada that Francis made this year, I think it was this year, where it was a bunch of nonsense was said about the church that was debunked completely later. Media didn't report on the debunking really, but it was debunked. The ground is fertile in some places for the for people to go after the church if things are ever restored to the way they should be. Fernandez may be trying to get the German bishops to be not quite so radical about all this too, by the way, because he's trying to have his cake and eat it too. But the cat is out of the bag already. You cannot undo what is done, short of a massive social change or some terrible events in the world that help to restore order. The church appears to have surrendered on the James Martin sin. It's why I call it the ape of the church fully manifest, because this is not Catholicism. Something else. I don't know what it is, but it's not Catholicism, folks. Thank you, Tina, for becoming a channel member. It is greatly appreciated. I will remind people, if you're a channel member, you periodically get a free message. Well, the way you get it is you click on the... I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a member of a channel, and I sent a channel member message in a live stream. The way you do it is you click on the Super Chat option, and it'll, it'll be one of your options. I don't know how often you get those, but it is available to people. So thank you for becoming a member, Tina. It is greatly appreciated. DK asks, how is it legal to take someone's earned pension? Well, that's the thing. When it comes to what happened to Cardinal Burke, some think it's, uh, at the very least, questionable canonically, but in Italy or the European Union, it might actually just be a violation of civil statutes. We'll see. You get a lot of questions about how much do those statutes actually apply <laughs> in Vatican City, which is an independent city-state, and not technically a member of the EU, but, uh, but does have observers at the EU. So we'll see how it goes. There's a lot of questions that people have about that. Oh, and Mutston became a member as well. Thank you, sir, or or madam. Thank you very much. Uh, two and a two and one, two, two shortly. Very good. So thank you all. It is greatly appreciated. When has this pope ever appeared adhered to canon law? Well, see, there's this theory that the canon law does not apply to him. It's not one I hold to because there are there are aspects to canon law that restrict actions being done to bishops that can only be done to them by a pope. So if a pope is not subject to canon law in some way, why bother having those canons on statute? Bishops have a right to due process when it comes to things at being accused of things. What would be the point if, uh, of having those if there wasn't if they if a pope wasn't expected to adhere to canon law? And not just as an example to not be a lawless person, but in general, what would be the point? 
All right. I can, Damien says, I believe we are past the time period to prevent what awaits and can only mitigate. Why? She said, she, our lady said every nation would fall to the hammer and sickle. Vatican City is a nation. Francis hails from one such country that's already like that. Yeah, but it seems to have been shifted the other way, at least temporarily. We'll see, though. All right. How does one become a member? There's a uh, there's a button that says uh, join, like right below your view screen. If you're uh, if you're like me and like and use the dark the you dark feature for YouTube where it's not your screen isn't white surrounded by a screen but like charcoal colored it'll be uh, gray. I don't know how it is otherwise. And there I go using common sense. Yeah, well you know, God gave us a brain. I try to use mine. I'm just not that good at using it all the time. What do I think? I'm not familiar with Father Timonier becoming who Father Timonier is, but if he's not a bishop, the chances of him becoming Pope are next to zero. The rank order of who becomes Pope is Cardinals first. In the College of Cardinals, among the in the College of Cardinals, the better bishops, there are very few of them that are actually that good who are under like the age of 75. And if they the older they are, the less likely they are to become Pope. Francis was, though, not notoriously like 85 or 86 when he became Pope, or 75 or 76 when he became Pope. So, you know, there's there's that difference. But um, after that are bishops, but they're not likely to become, they're not even likely to be in the room during those discussions. So the chances are small. And a priest, I mean, it's I guess it's happened a few times, but it's unlikely. But yes, he is the order. He might be the master of the Dominican order, but if he's not a cardinal, then the chances are almost zero. All right. I do need to start getting my family ready for mass soon. So I'm going to uh, ask for any final questions at this point. And if people have them, this is your time to offer them. Again, please, on this anniversary of the passing of Benedict XVI, pray for the repose of his soul. Uh, Archbishop Georg Gonsfein will be offering a mass, a pontifical mass, I think, today at St. Peter's, I believe, at some point today. Um, also, please say some prayers for all the uh, religious, both who have, you know, crossed, gotten the ire of Rome, but also those in your life, those in your community. They pray, they spend their days, a lot of them spend their days only praying and working on our behalf when we don't even know it. So please offer them a prayer in, in, to as a, as a thank you for them so that they may, you know, thrive in their vocation. Can I explain or define the dicastery, the doctrine of the faith? Sure. It's a, it used to be called the congregation for the doctrine of the faith. Before that was called the Holy office for that. They, they, their job was to, in theory, defend the, the integrity of the doctrine of the faith. And they, so they did that by investigating heresy. They did that by issuing documents to clear the air on behalf of the Pope on matters pertaining to doctrine, dogma, and all sorts of things. Recent years, it's been used for other things. <laughs> also, uh, part of it is to investigate Ted McCarrick kind of priests, too, because there's a very clear link between doctrine and uh, those kinds of evil failings. What's the, what's the chance of Cardinal Togle? He's much more popular than anybody's anybody's mentioned recently. He's from the peripheries, which are points in his favor these days. He had a bad run running a curia, so, uh, like a curial office, so that may not help him. But... Um, Again, I don't expect to see a, con a conclave in 2024. I could be wrong about that. I just don't. I, I think we're going to have Francis for longer than people expect. 
Um, I will have my predictions for 2024 uh, live stream tomorrow morning. The only video I have for you tomorrow is related to the feast day for the, for the feast of Mary, mother of God tomorrow. So, and yes, I know it's something different on the preconciliar calendar, but I have, I have a devotion to our lady. So uh, while I don't think that the old feast day should have been gotten rid of, I'm not going to, you know, fight it either. <laughs> um, let's see. Do you know anything about some French guy big on three days coming out with a rumor that the Marian apparitions will be canceled? Um, I've heard that rumor. We'll see. I mean, that would cause a tidal wave in the church if they did that. It wouldn't surprise me, though. All right, Lynn. It says you, you, you say you just joined. It didn't tell me anything, but if you did, good. Thank you very much. Anyway, I'm going to wrap it up here. I do have to get my family ready for Mass. So, <laughs> um, I know it's only four in the morning here, but you know when you've got three kids to get dressed and everything else and prayers to do and things. So, all right. Um, the other thing I want to mention is I will mention this before I do wrap up. You probably heard rumors that the SSPX are going to consecrate some bishops again. That rumor sounds like, by the way, because I see Damien in the chat, pretty sure that hey, I saw him on Facebook reminding people that's not actually true. This one came from a diocese in France, complete within their parish bulletin. Believe it when SSPX News publishes a story on that, or when Bishop Fillet comes out and makes an announcement, or when, or when the Superior General of the Society makes the announcement. Beyond that, just wait until they make their announcement themselves. I wouldn't spend any time on that rumor. All right. What is the prayer we say on the 1st of January? I'm not sure, honestly. Um, I will I should look that up for tomorrow, though. Um, why do I have a Quebec flag behind me? That flag is a sign of Catholic resistance. That's why. It's a classic symbol of Catholic resistance. I'm not French. I'm English, mostly, actually. Um, and despite my last name, some people have made some weird accusations about that. I'm actually mostly English, a little bit of German, but mostly English. All right. Thank you folks for tuning in today. May God bless you. And remember to pray for everybody we talked about today. And if anybody in the public eye in the church uh, sends you and, you know, gives you feelings of, you know, anger and things, make sure to say a prayer for them. Don't lose your soul over the things going on in the church. I hope you all have a very, very happy new year. And I will see you tomorrow with my predictions for 2024 live stream. God bless you.